You know, um, we are in a series called The School of Faith. And the reason I've entitled this study of the book of Genesis, The School of Faith, is because this part in our study of the book of Genesis deals primarily with Abraham, the man of faith. The Bible calls him the father of faith. And this is all important for us as Christians because oftentimes, you know, our faith is very precious to us and we would never jettison our faith. But yet oftentimes our faith doesn't make any practical difference in our daily lives. We often wonder why. And it's because walking by faith is actually counterintuitive. And it's something we have to learn how to do. And so over the next eight weeks during this term, or seven weeks now, we are doing eight lessons that will teach you how to develop a faith that makes a difference. How to actually put legs on your faith so that you can develop a faith that does actually make a difference in your day-to-day lives. And, and so what we've done is we've got these booklets, and hopefully you've got a booklet here this morning. If you forgot your booklet, that's okay. Remember it next time. You can take notes on the back of your um, OBC Outlook that was given to you this morning. But we are looking at these eight lessons that will help you to develop a faith that makes a difference. Lesson one we saw last week was we need to learn to walk by faith. And we saw that walking by faith is living not by what you see with your eyes or what you feel with your emotions, but it's walking by God's word, walking in accordance with God's word. Then today, we're looking at growing through trials. How do we grow through trials? How does our faith grow through trials? Then in lesson three, we're looking at overcoming fear. Who here struggles with fear in their life? Well, you need to come on lesson three. I struggle with fear. We're going to look at how to overcome fear. Then in lesson four, we're looking at conquering self-sufficiency, one of the things that will make us dry up as Christians. And then we're looking at the place of prayer and intercession in the life of faith, the uh, overcoming the world in lesson six, um, defeating lifelong strongholds in lesson seven. And then finally, we're rounding out the series in Genesis 22 when we come to the end of Abraham's story, where we're looking at a portrait of a mature faith. What does mature faith actually look like in God? Well, today we're in the school of faith and we're in our third lesson, Growing Through Trials. Now, you remember I said to you, every single time that we do a lesson, what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you the key thought for the lesson right up front. So you can write it down in your notebook, the key thought for the lesson. Here's the key thought for today that you've got to take away. The key thought for our lesson on growing through trials is this, is that tests or trials will grow your faith only, that's a very important word, only if you respond to them by trusting in God's promises not by turning to your own wisdom. Let me say it again so that you get it down. Tests or trials will grow your faith only, very important word, if you respond to them by trusting in God's promises, not by turning to your own wisdom. Now, this is important because have you ever been to the doctor and the doctor has tested your reflexes? Uh, they've, never, I've, they've never done that for me, but uh, you know, you watch TV and movies, and they, on the TV and movies, the doctor gets out a hammer, and he hammers the knee, and the knee sort of springs up in the air, and it's supposed to test people's reflexes. Now, who has actually had that happen at a doctor's surgery? Okay, so the doctors actually do that. I've, they've never done that to me. I just thought it might have been like something that happens on movies. Anyway, the, the idea is that we have these physical re, um, reflexes, these automated responses that happen automatically under stimulation. And 
Well, the same, I think the same is true under trials, is that under trials, we have these, just these um, reflex reactions under trials that are just automated, that just automatically occur. You see, most of the trials that we experience, they are under five on the trial scale. They are like, uh, you have a frustrating day at work. You get a headache that seems to bother you. Or you get a flat tire, and that's all under five in, 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 in the trial scale. But as you deal with those particular trials, you, you, you learn a reflex reaction. You learn a reflex reaction to those trials. And you see, I think this is important to understand because there is this myth going around, and I call it the Kelly Clarkson myth. The Kelly Clarkson myth. I call it the Kelly Clarkson myth. Who here knows who Kelly Clarkson is? All right, some of you do. Kelly Clarkson, she sung this song, and in one of the lines of the song, she says, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And she's teaching this idea that automatically, if you go through difficult stuff, if you go through difficult circumstances, that it's automatically going to grow you as a person. And I like to say that that's a myth. That isn't actually true. In fact, most people who go through difficult stuff, who go through difficulties and trials, most people just respond by reflex. And they don't actually change. They go through the same stuff over and over again, and they don't ever change. You see, trials and tests will only grow your faith if you respond to them by trusting in God's promises, not by turning to your own wisdom. You might be going through the same stuff over and over again, and you're not growing one little bit because you're just responding by reflex. Well, let's have a look at how this worked out in the life of Abram. We're going to see over the next three chapters, we're going to study three chapters this morning, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. We're going to see that Abram, he went through three different tests and we're going to view his report card and then we're going to review the grade that he got as he went through those different tests. Now, you'll remember if you were here last week that Abraham began his walk of faith in Genesis chapter 11 when God graciously came to him and made an invitation of relationship to Abraham. And he graciously introduced himself to Abram and said, I, wanted to go, I want you to go over to Canaan. And even though Abram, he got hung up in Haran, do you remember that? He got hung up in Haran just for a little bit. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, God recommissioned him again. And in verse 4, he went as God had said. And then he came into the land of Canaan and God spoke to him and said, I'm going to give you all of this land. And Abraham believed in God and he built an altar and he worshiped the Lord. And then we read this in verse 8. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Now, the word Bethel in Hebrew literally means house of God. So Abram is walking by faith and he pitches his tent right near the house of God and he calls on the name of the Lord. This phrase in the book of Genesis, it refers to fellowship with God. Abram is having fellowship with God. He's talking to God. He's relating to God. He's walking with God. Everything up to this point is going really, really well. Abraham is walking and talking and obeying God and everything is going great. And then we read this in verses 9 and 10. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev, and there was a famine in the land. Here's the first test that we often encounter. It's the test of adversity. You're walking by faith. You're responding in obedience to God. You're going where God has sent you, 
and then all of a sudden, some form of adversity comes into your life. Has that ever happened to you? You do it, you're walking by faith, you're responding to God, you're in fellowship with God, and then all of a sudden, this, this adversity just comes into your life. Well, how does Abram respond to this adversity? Well, we read this in verse 10. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It was not just under five on the trial scale. This was over five on the trial scale. And so Abram heads down to Egypt. I want to ask you some questions. What happened to the altars? What happened to calling on the Lord? What happened to trusting that God would bless him? God had said, I will bless you. As soon as adversity comes, Abram runs down to Egypt. You see, my observation about adversity is that when adversity comes, often our reflex response is to handle the situation ourselves. I mean, I mean, it's okay if it's like, it's okay if it's something small. Maybe I could trust in God with that. But when it's something big, like a severe famine, then I need to look to myself. Then I need to flee to Egypt. The reflex response is often to handle the situation ourselves. And here's the thing about adversity. God uses adversity because adversity will reveal reality. When we go through hard times, it reveals what's actually going on in our hearts, what we're actually looking to, whether we are trusting in God's promises or whether we're looking to our own wisdom. But the thing about responding by reflex in adversity, by handling it yourself, is that it takes you down a dark path. Let me show you what happened with Abram. It says in verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a, a, a woman beautiful in appearance. I love this. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? <laughs> I love that. This is his wife? How could that guy get a woman like that? <laughs> then they will kill me but they will let you live. You see, when you respond to adversity by trusting in yourself, what ends up happening is you become paranoid in your thinking. Abram has become paranoid. He's now paranoid over the fact that he's married to a beautiful woman and maybe like the Egyptians will want, to, they will want her and so they'll off him. And so Abram then hatches a plan. He says to Sarai, Sarai, say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, in the culture at that time, if um, you wanted to um, court and marry uh, a woman, you had to go through her closest relative. And so Abram is probably thinking, if Sarah, this is a great plan, if Sarah says that I am her brother, then all the prospective suitors, they're going to have to come to me first, and I'll be able to palm them off, and therefore I'll be able to save my own skin, and I'll be able to protect Sarah. But little does he know what's going to happen next. You see, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Egypt saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. You see, there was only one person who didn't have to abide by that cultural custom, and that was Pharaoh. He was king. He could take whatever he wanted. And so when they told him about this beautiful woman, Sarai, he just grabbed her and took her into his harem. And now, poor Sarai is alone in, the Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's harem, and God's promise of of making Abram into a great nation is under threat. 
But it even gets worse than that. We read in verse 16, And for her sake, he, that's Pharaoh, dwelt well with Abram, and he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Pharaoh just pours out all of this blessing on Abram because he thinks that Abram is Sarai's brother. Now, we can't know this for certain, but I think what was happening here is that Abram's conscience and Abram's anxiety level is going through the roof. I mean, here he's getting all this blessing. But what is happening to poor Sarai? What is going on with Sarai? He's getting all of this stuff and she's alone in Pharaoh's harem. You want to know something? The more you respond to adversity by the reflex response of handling it yourself, the more anxiety and worry you can expect to experience. You see, all you will have is yourself, and you concoct these little plans in your own paranoia to handle the situation yourself. All you'll have is yourself, and your anxiety levels will go through the roof. So we see Abram's report card here. The first test was adversity, and the grade that Abram got was a fail. It was a fail. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you were walking by faith, all of a sudden, adversity came into your life. You responded by reflex, by thinking you could handle it yourself, and all it's led you to is anxiety and worry and a mess in your life. Can I just share something with you, which is, I think, so encouraging if you're in that place here this morning. Here's what I want to share with you is this, is God is gracious to Abram. Even though Abram is unfaithful, God remains faithful. Isn't this amazing? This is amazing about the character of God. God has made unconditional promises to Abram. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you into a great nation. And God, listen, listen to this. God never goes back on his word. He will always keep his word. So even though we mightn't keep our word, God keeps his word. He is faithful. Oh man, that is why God can be trusted. Because God will always keep his promise. Even if we are unfaithful, he will remain faithful. And you see, what happens is God comes to Sarai's rescue. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh, we don't know how he found out this was happening. But Pharaoh called Abram and said, why, what is this that you have done to me? And why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, this is pretty sad, isn't it? I mean, here is this godless king rebuking the man of faith because he has been unfaithful. But I want to tell you something. The story doesn't end here. Many times when we study the Bible... We, we, we can just get locked into chapter divisions. But the chapter divisions were actually not part of the original manuscripts of the Bible. And actually, as we go into chapter 13, we read this. So, in response to Abram being kicked out of Egypt, it says this. So, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed. Look at this from the Negev as far as Bethel. What does Bethel mean again in Hebrew? House of God. Look at this. To the place where his tent had been at the beginning. To the place where he had stepped out of the will of God. To Bethel, the house of God. 
And, and he pitched his tent where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. I want to show you something. If you have failed, listen, listen. If you have failed the test of adversity, you cannot go back and change the past. I wish I could promise you that you could go back and you could change the past, but often you can't. Often you have to live with the consequences of your own decisions. You cannot go back and change the past, but here's what you can do. You can go back and get right with God. You can go back to Bethel, the house of God, and call on the name of God and start your walk of faith again. If you have encountered adversity and then you've been handling it yourself and you've been filled with anxiety and worry and all of this mess has come into your life, God is still faithful. God is still gracious. He will keep his promise. He's made you promises. He's not going to go back on it. And that should motivate you to go back to Bethel. Go back and call on the name of the Lord and get right with him. Do you need to get right with the Lord this morning? Do you need to come back to the Lord and brokenness and, and say, God, I, I have stuffed up. I did not pass your test. But God, I want to walk with you again. I, I want to continue my walk of faith. This is exactly what Abram did. Now, it doesn't matter how you start the race. It matters how you finish the race. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. Yesterday, I did the park run. Park run is this run that we do. And and David, uh, my, uh, uh, my fr good friend here, David Gardner, <laughs> and uh, he was doing the park run. And uh, if you don't know, he's sort of dating my daughter. And so I thought to myself, I am not going to let this young guy beat me, all right? And so I had him in my sights the whole park run. I had him, like, he was just like only five meters, meters ahead of me, and I was saving up some energy for the last K, the last 200 meters, and I was just going to, at the last moment was going to just run past him, all right? I was just going to run past him. And, and, and I, had, I had it saved up inside. I, w I was right there, okay? Um, but then David, like about, about you know, 800 meters from the finishing line, he starts walking in front of me. And I'm like, no! Because when I pass him, he will then like get a second wind as he sees me passing him, and he will like take off. And sure enough, as soon as I pass Dave, Dave was like, not in my lifetime. I'm not going to let this old guy beat me. And he runs out faster. And then I looked in the reserves. I looked to the reserves, and unfortunately, the reserves were not there. <laughs> you know, and this happens when you get 40 plus, you know. You know, some of you know what I mean, don't you? Amen. Doesn't matter how you begin the race, it matters how you finish. Abram, when he encountered his first test, he failed. But he went back to Bethel. He went back to Bethel. He went back to the place where God had met him. And there he called on the name of the Lord again. Come on, come on, come back to Bethel today. Come back to Bethel today and call on the name of the Lord if you need to today. Well, then we look at the second test that Abram faced. And we see this in chapter 13, 
We read in chapter 13 and verse 2, we read that Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he was so rich because God had blessed him that we read this in verses 7 to 9. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So they have so much riches, Abram and Lot, that there is this conflict between their herds. You know, the second test that we will go through often is the test of prosperity. The test of prosperity. Now, you might be thinking, I didn't think that was a test. I don't think that's a trial. It really is. It really is. Not only does adversity test us, but so does prosperity. Chuck Swindoll, he writes this. He says, most of us, this is interesting, we rise to meet adversity with our best character. However, our true character comes out when things go really well. It's easy to become arrogant, self-sustaining, conceited, greedy, and condescending at such times. Chuck Swindoll says, for every five people that he meets who grow through adversity, he can only meet one person who is growing in the midst of prosperity. You see, I have observed this, that when prosperity comes into our lives, our reflex response to prosperity is greed. When, when, when we get like a, a big raise at work or we get some sort of opportunity placed in our lap, we don't actually go to God and we don't actually talk to God about it. Our reflex response is that this must be good for us, so we will double down, we will make more, we will build more. Um, my friends and I, we play this game, Settlers of Catan. And in this game, Settlers of Catan, you have, to, um, you have to try and build up your farms. And the person who builds up their empire bigger than other people, they win the game. And Settlers of Catan really, really like, um, it, uh, it is built upon this natural impulse that we all have towards life. That the goal of life is to build more and get more for myself. That's our natural impulse when it comes to prosperity. And so you know what? I've seen more Christians fall, not because of adversity, but because of prosperity. And let's look at how Abram responds. Abram says to Lot, let there be no strife between me and you and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. This is an incredibly generous offer that Abram is making towards Lot. He's basically saying to Lot, you get to choose, you get to choose whatever land you want to choose, and I'll take the leftovers. As the patriarch, as the one who was the older kinsman, he could easily have sent Lot away, but he responds with generosity. You see, generosity is the only way to overcome greed. Because when you are generous, you are saying that God is the one who is looking after me. Abram has learnt to walk by faith. He is trusting that God is going to be the one who's going to give him the land. He's not trusting in what he sees. And so we see the second test for Abram is the test of prosperity. And Abram passes with flying colors. Now I want to look for a moment at how Lot responded. Because Lot in the book of Genesis... He is a picture of a carnal Christian, a Christian who is a Christian, who is a believer in God. We know that from Hebrews chapter 11 and what it says about Lot. But he is a, a, a carnal Christian who lives by what they see, who lives and walks by the flesh. And we read this 
in verse 10, Lot, in response to Abram's gracious offer, this is what happens. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw, why don't you circle that in your Bible? He saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and he journeyed east and they separated from one another. You know, Lot did what most of us do when we're faced with a, with a financial decision. He didn't consult the Lord. He didn't think about the spiritual implications of what this decision would mean for him and his family. He just went with what he saw. And look what happens in the next verse. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were Wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot makes this decision to just go by what he sees, to choose the best land, and he ends up moving his tent close to the wicked city of Sodom. And as we go through the book of Genesis, we are going to see that that is going to be bad for his wife, that's going to be bad for him, that's going to be bad for his children. Oh, I want to warn you all today, because I don't, I don't know how many times I've seen this, is that pros, is adversity doesn't necessarily... It doesn't necessarily um, shipwreck people, but I've seen so many times when prosperity has shipwrecked men in particular. They make decisions on the basis of their reflex response to greed, and they go by what they see, and they don't take into account the spiritual implications of what that decision will mean for them and their family. My dad, he introduced this guy to the Lord Jesus, and he came out of a background of of like drugs and alcohol and his life was a mess and he was radically saved. He became a full-on follower of Jesus and he was passionate for Jesus. And his, and his wife and his family were going really well. He was really engaged in church. And then he started this business mowing lawns in order to earn money for his family, which is good, right? But then prosperity came. And he did what we naturally do in prosperity. We don't consult God. We don't walk by faith. We don't go to God. We just go with our reflex response. And so he put on more workers and built the business and built the business. And so the business became this big thing. And as the business became big, his heart for God, his time at church, his engagement with the Lord became small. And he walked away from God. And the last I heard, he's, he's, he's not, he, he and his wife are, are separated. So sad. He could pass the test of adversity, but he could not pass the test of prosperity, of prosperity. See, we don't, <laughs> the, 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 he, he, let me tell you what the problem is about speaking about greed to Westerners. Let me tell you what the problem is about speaking of greed to Westerners is none of us think we're greedy. It's such a blind spot for Westerners. Um, if I was to speak about lust this morning, you know, there would be guys here who would be trying to not catch my eye. They'd be looking away. But when you speak about greed to Westerners, none of us think we're greedy. We all think we're poor. I've been on mission trips around the world. None of us in this room are poor. None of us in this room are poor. And, and I'm going to tell you this. The only way to counter greed is generosity is to look to the Lord. You see, let me compare Abram and Lot for a second. Abram was generous. Lot was greedy. 
Abram trusted that God would bless him and therefore he could have an open hand to his stuff. He could say, you choose. Choose, Lot, whichever you want. And he could trust that God would provide for him. Lot, on the other hand, he lived by sight. Abram, he moves his tent to Hebron and he worships God and God appears to him a second time and tells him, yes, Abram, you are going to have all this land and this is an amazing promise. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust of the earth and he worships God. Whereas Lot, he moves his tent close to Sodom, close to the world. I wonder if you've moved your tent right up next door to the city of Sodom. We're going to find in the next chapter, do you know what? Lot in the next chapter, isn't, his tent isn't just pitched near Sodom. He is living in Sodom. He's living in that wicked city. He's assimilated into the city, so he is no different from Sodom. See, how are you responding to prosperity? Well, let's have a look at the third test. The third test. As we come into chapter 14, it's a big political drama on the, on the size of Donald Trump versus North Korea. It's this massive political drama that's happening in the promised land. And there is this king called King Chedodoloma. I had to practice his name because it's quite hard phonetically to say. Why don't you just say that together? Chedodoloma. Chedodoloma, all right? And so we have this king and he's got this, he's got all of these kings under him and he's ruling, uh, he's ruling the, the land with an iron fist. And we see this, uh, these group of kings, they rise up against him, but he puts it down. And then in verses 8 to 10, the king of Sodom with another collection of kings tries to go against Chedodoloma. But Chedodoloma is, see I could say it really well now, Chedodoloma, he's very strong and he puts, that, he puts that rebellion down. And when we read this in verse 11, so the enemy, that's Chedodoloma, took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their provisions and went their way. Now this wouldn't upset Abram except for what we read in verse 12. And they also took Lot the son of Abram's brother, look at this, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. And so what is Abraham going to do? Would he just leave Lot to suffer the foolishness of his own choices? This is the third test that we often experience, and it's the test of problem people. Who here has a problem person in their life? A pesky Lot. Whose problem person is standing, is sitting right next to them this morning? <laughs> Maybe don't put up your hand. <laughs> we all encounter these lots in our lives. They are our lot in life. <laughs> these problem people, these pesky people, who just seem to make the same foolish decisions over and over again, and they don't realize that their foolish decisions are reaping the consequences that they're experiencing. And what do you do with the problem people? Well, I have found that when problem people come into our lives, our reflex response is hard-heartedness. Just think about the poor people in Adelaide. How do you respond to the poor in Adelaide? Is our reflex rep response to say, well, they made their bed. They need to lie in it. They are getting what they deserve. If they were more socially responsible, then they wouldn't be in that situation. See, how does... How does Abram respond to pesky Lot? He responds with big-heartedness. 
He goes in verses, um, in verses 13 to 16, he goes and he takes his 318 fighting men and he goes and fights Cheddar Deloma and there's a mighty victory that's won and he brings back Lot and all of his possessions. You see, Abram passes the test of problem people. As God has been to Abram, Abram is now to others. Remember this. God had rescued in chapter 12 Abram from Abram. He had shown him grace. And now Abram was showing grace to Lot. You know, I'm hoping that we, as God's people, will be big-hearted just like that. That we will give people what they do not deserve. We will give them grace. Because you and I have been amazingly graced by the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that it was while you were a sinner that Christ died for you. You weren't all that great. You were undeserving and God poured out his grace upon you. And if God has poured out his grace upon you, should you not be someone who pours out grace upon grace upon grace to others? You see, what is your response to the problem people in your life? I think that what God does is he uses problem people as his tools to fashion in us patience and endurance and long-suffering and all of those things that we don't want, they're unwelcome grace, but all of those things that make us into the beautiful character of a nail-pierced Savior who came down to earth to die for you. So, what's the key thought for today? Tests and trials will only grow your faith if you respond to them by trusting in God's promises, not by turning to your own wisdom. As we go through these chapters, you know what we see? We see that Abram's faith does grow. He fails the first one, the one of adversity, but then he grows in prosperity and he grows through problem people. I wonder this morning, what does your report card look like? What are you getting for the test of adversity? Are you getting a pass or a fail? What are you getting in the test of prosperity? Are you meeting prosperity with generosity or with greed? What are you getting in dealing with problem people? Are you being big-hearted or are you, or are you just being hard-hearted to the problem people around you? You see, we all here are going through trials all the time. And most of the trials that we are going through Actually, as I said, they are under five on the trial scale, right? But God does this so that through those lesser trials, our reflex responses should change so that when you go through the major testing of your faith, you will be able to respond by trusting in God's promises, not with your own wisdom. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said that there was two men who built houses, one man built his house upon the rock, the other built his house upon the sand. And when does the foundation, when is the foundation revealed? In the storm. When the storm comes, the foundation of your life will be revealed. And I have been a pastor long enough, people, to know that while everything might look great now and you might have a wonderful family and everything might be in order right now, there will come times when the storm will come, and the storms hit every single family on this earth, I believe, in all different ways. You saw this morning 
This family who had to deal with a son who was dying at the age of 37 by cancer. But they responded to that trial by faith, turning to faith, trusting in the resurrected Savior. I pray today that you will respond in such a way. So maybe the application for you today is you need to go back to Bethel and get right with God this morning. Maybe the application today is you need to commit yourself to becoming a generous person. Or maybe you need to commit yourself to saying, as, I, as you have been Lord to me, I will be to others. I will be a gracious person who will pour out grace on others. Let's pray.